13. I want a degree in English professional writing, so you lit, lit But that's um, what I did, and God radically changed my life out of the fall breakaway. And so I was in um, a really terrible relationship that lasted all throughout college. And um, I just got back in, and a friend invited me to fall breakaway, and I said, yes, please, I need a break from all of this. And it went, and um, really just fell in love with the community and how authentic and genuine Kyle was. And also that's where God called me to ministry. And so really praying for you guys that y'all be able to go to fall breakaway and have an open heart because you might just change your lives while you're there. And so I want to show the, the first picture. Um, I After that, when he called me into ministry, I went ahead and did the campus missions and training program. That's an internship program. And this is actually my stay on staff for two years. So this is how it all started for me way back in 2014, 2015. This was one of our Christmas parties. So I don't know if you can really see this picture, but I'm in like that gold shirt with the afro. So shout out to all my natural girls out there. <laughs> um, and then that's me down there with two of my girls from my small group. So yeah, that's how we started. I had an opportunity to do that for two years. Loved it. God changed my life in so many ways. Also put it on my heart to pioneer and play to Kayako, which just means going to a place where it doesn't exist and trying to start it and invite the students there. Um, so that's when we put it on my heart to start that installment. And um, but I still was like, I don't know if I'm ready. Like I didn't get involved with Kayako until my last semester in college. Like, can y'all just picture how much my parents freaked out? <laughs> um, I'm like a semester away from graduating, and I'm like, I'm a new missionary. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, there was still a lot that I needed to learn about Chi Alpha. So I stayed on staff there for two years, then had an opportunity to be an interim director at Georgia Southern University in Statesboro. And I was there for two years until my replacements came, and then was able to be released to go on the journey to start the pioneering process. And that took 16 months where I raised money and moved to a new city and did all of that. But praise the Lord, we are there now. This is our first year ministering to the students. So this is a picture of what we look like now. So year zero, we've already been able to minister about seven or eight students. And this was our fall railway that took place this year, October 1st through the 3rd. And so we took students from all three campuses, which was really crazy to me. Uh, because when we uh, at our director's meeting, the director's like, how many people does everybody think they're going to bring the fall railway? right away. So two girls from Clark, one girl from Selman, four guys from Morehouse. So God's been good. God's been good. And then this is um, another picture of me and my husband. When we started out as babies, y'all. Babies. How we started. We met Kayaka serving at uh, my first trip to the Atlanta Center. And so this was our first date. And then we went to like a carnival. And then this is what we look like now. So shout out to him. <laughs> Anything I'd love to hang out with you guys. So yeah, 
But now that you guys have uh, just heard a little bit more about me, I really want to jump into the message. We're going to be talking all about like how we can focus on God, but more specifically, how we can focus on living out Jesus' works in our life. And another way of just putting that is, are our lives hidden in Christ? So I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you just um, speak clearly tonight. And that you break through bone and marrow and cut through our hearts and allow us not to leave here the same way that we came in. And I pray that you speak through me as a little vessel, even with any nerves, God. And uh, Lord, just have your way. Just envelop this room and speak so clearly to them that they need to hear change. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to be basing um, this theme of focusing on Jesus' work in our lives out of the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. And let me set the scene for you guys real quick. So, for Colossians, all throughout the New Testament, we know that Jesus came and he met the disciples and then he released them to go and uh, disciple other people. And then Jesus died on the cross, right? And then after that, all the disciples scattered because a lot of them didn't want to have the same faith that Jesus did. But the joke's on the enemy because wherever they scattered, they ended up planting churches. So we don't know who actually planted Colossians, but we do know that Paul is now our overseer writes some letters, like he writes um, other churches to encourage them. Paul does two things a lot of time. Encourage people, persevere, keep the faith, or two, to offer rebuke, <laughs> to offer correction, and to ask them, like, how have you how have you wandered off the path? So for Colossians, it's, it's more of a rebuke here <laughs> of just saying, how could you guys have wandered off the path? How could you guys so easily have forgotten that Jesus is the one true Lord, that Jesus is the one true Savior? Because where they live, there's a road uh, where travelers can pass by all the time. So these travelers are bringing these different words, these different religions, and so some of them are falling off. So when we read Colossians, it's a rebuke, it's an encouragement that you can't just, first of all, you guys said that y'all are Christians. You receive the gospel, you receive salvation, you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And then somewhere along the way, you stop believing. So he's kind of like whipping them back in shape saying, don't forget um, who you are. So let's read Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 4, and we'll talk about that. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is. Sit at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in so when I was preparing and studying and trying to take a deeper look into what this chapter said, the verse that really stood out to me here was um, verse 3 when it says, um, when you die, for you die and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And I had to ask myself, what exactly does that mean? Well, to put it plainly, once we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, two things are supposed to happen. We should die to our own self and our life should be hidden in Christ. So let's talk about what that means a little bit. Well, dying to ourselves just looks like putting off the old man. We should not be living as we did before we knew Christ. Like, do we know our testimony? Do we have a, a transformation in our life? How are we before Christ? How are we now that we know Christ? And what was the thing that happened in the middle? We see a, another beautiful sort of imagery of this with water baptism. And Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 6, 3 through 4. And I'm going to read that. It says, for don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So if you haven't gotten water baptized, really 
because that's when you get to stand before all of your peers and say that from this day forward, I'm going to try to live my life as a new creation of Christ. When we go under the water, that's us dying to our flesh. That's the form of the crucifixion. Just as Jesus crucified his flesh, when we go under the water, we die in our flesh. And when we come out of water, we're supposed to be a new creature, a new man. And at um, Columbus State University and the other campuses, it's a party, y'all. We do water baptisms. We ask our students to stand before their peers. They can invite their friends, family members, whoever. And we say, what makes you want to go on the journey to declare that you're going to try your best to live for Jesus all the days of your life? And they give an account of their testimony and how they used to be and how God has set them free from things. And it's beautiful. And so Paul is just, in other words, trying to say, Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to still remain the same. He didn't die on the cross for us to keep on sinning as he did before. He didn't die on the cross for us to be so easily entangled with the enemy's lies. And can I tell you one of the biggest lies that us as Christians believe? That we can be a Christian and have no transformation of the heart. That we can just keep on living exactly as we did before without a new cross. Paul says on the contrary, once we accept salvation, we must die to ourselves. We must be transformed by the removal of our minds. And we must remove, we must refuse our own way of living. And when we refuse our own way of living, we should be in favor of our lives being hidden in Christ. So what do people see when they see you? Do they see Jesus? Or do they still see anger or resentment or all of the hurt that's in cost? I don't know about y'all, but have y'all ever heard that singer's commercial that used to come out? Uh, it would always say, like, you're not like yourself when you're hungry. Yeah. <laughs> that was me. Not like myself when I'm hungry, but I'm also not like myself when I haven't spent time with the Word. If I haven't spent time with the Word, if I haven't did my quiet time with y'all, that's another person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, snap much harder. So, like, when people see me, do they see Christ? Yeah. Or do they see all of those other different things? So, when it talks about our Change my plans, though. Can you quickly align my will with your will? 
Because I want other people to see that. So when it talks about our lives being hidden in Christ, I think we have to ask ourselves, are we more concerned with our will or do we desire God's will? And when people see us, do they see us trying to pursue a lifestyle for God? God doesn't want us to be perfect. He just wants us to be willing. I used to say all the time, you know, like um, when I shared, well, one of the things that happened at Paul Gregory that was so impactful for me is that um, he had to open up to my friends and tell them about the horrible relationship that I was in and how I was having panic attacks and was crying all the time and how he ended up cheating on me and I still stayed because I thought I had to make it work, you know, all these crazy things. And just open up and was telling them that I didn't believe that that was God's best in my life. And then I'm talking to my friend and she bursts into tears. I said, well, why are you crying? And she says, because I'm, I'm going to do the exact same thing right now. But I'm a little bit more. So I'm like, but she said for her, it's the same thing. She's trying to run to this relationship and run to this marriage when this guy is over and over again, intentionally trying to hurt her. And I'll just tell her, like, isn't it better for us to wait for God's best, that someone that's going to pull us closer to God and not pull us away from God? Because you can still be in a relationship and still be lonely, let me tell you and so then the next day we're talking again, another student over here says, and she says, wow, I'm going to do the same thing. I know it's blown away that God could be such a messy part of my life and a messy part of my testimony to help other people. These girls over here are like, we want to be like Mary. And I'm like, no, y'all don't. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <was> a mess. <laughs> I was crying all the time at that conference because I just got out of a relationship. But I remember the year that I decided to do ministry and I was talking to um, the person that was doing one on one I don't understand why people say they want to be like me when I'm such a broken individual. And she said, that's biblical. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. So I'm not perfect. I don't have it all together. I'm just deciding that I'm going to go on a journey to choose God. I'm going to go on a journey to do his will. I'm going to go on a journey to figure out what does he want from me. And so that's what I believe that this Bible, that the, this word is talking about when it says that our life is hidden in Christ. Are we willing to do the work to show that Jesus' work has been evident in our life? Or do we just go around saying we're a Christian and there's no proof? Do we just wear it as a badge? Do we just use it as a word that there's no works? Here's the problem with that. The Bible says faith without works is dead. I want to read it plainly so we can get a vivid picture of this. We're going to go to James chapter 2. 14 through 24. And it says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmly filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? That's also faith by itself. If it doesn't have works, it's dead. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. But even the demons believe and trouble. But do you want to know, O oh, foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man 
anger. Again, it's not enough just to profess that we're Christians. That's not enough anymore. And this passage gives us two practical reasons, well, two reasons why. There's a practical reason and a biblical reason. The practical reason is says, just like if you meet a homeless person on the street, and they say, I want food, I need clothes. And we tell them, all right, be warm, be in peace, and we go all by the way. That's like faith without words. I had a lot of, I had a lot of mouth movement, and I didn't do anything to back it up, so it was worthless to that person. The same thing with the, in the spiritual analogy, talking about Abraham and having to sacrifice his only son. If you're familiar with the story, Abraham gave birth to this son. He was old. I mean, old, crusty, dusty, like great, 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 great grandfather. But it was a promise that was given him to the Lord. So after all that, after believing, having faith, and doing all that, then God says, I want you to sacrifice your only son. What in the world? And what was I to think? The Bible, I feel like the Bible was like, you know, it's like, what are you doing? Well, I was like, you know, just gotta have faith. Let's just go up here and see what happens, you know? And so the good news part of the story is that Abraham does not have to sacrifice his son. Um, a lot of stuff in the Old Testament is pointing to what happens in the New Testament. Abraham was a type, you know, just letting us know that this is what's going to happen in the future, right? God was going to sacrifice his only begotten son. So now we know the weightiness of it. The weightiness of what he called Abraham to do. He gave Abraham this promise, you will have many nations. And all of it started with the birth of his son. But he said, I need to know, though. You say you have You say you believe in me. But can you back it up with your works? And he decides, he says, yes, he says, yes, God, even though I don't understand, even though I don't know why, even though I don't have a clue what's going to happen, I'm going to trust you and obey you. And then every step they go up, there's a ram that, that's going up the same way and gets caught in a bush. And Abraham gets to sacrifice that ram instead of his son. And so the Bible says that Abraham, he started out good with his faith. He started out good with saying, yes, God, that was pleasing to God. But his faith was made perfect because he was going to put some works behind it. But it cannot be clear, though. I'm not saying that we have to gain salvation by works. We gain salvation by faith and faith alone. What I'm trying to say is that once we are saved by faith, then we are granted access to our heavenly inheritance. Or in other words, we gain access to things like grace and mercy and favor and recognizing that we're adopted by God and we're justified. All those big Christianese words, right? We gain access to that. We gain access to that by faith that takes works for us to first even understand what does all that mumbo-jumbo mean and then begin to live that out. Let me put it to you like this. I can use a metaphor of a car. It's like your parent telling you, as soon as you get your driver's license, I have a car for you. It's your favorite color. It's decked out with the rims, with AC, your best, the best stereo speaker, so your music can be blasted as you're coasting down. I even already got the keys. Everything is waiting for you. All you have to do is get your driver's license. So what we have to do, we have to do work, right? We have to study for the test. We have to pass the test. I don't know about y'all. That test two times. Hey, that does two times. <laughs> <laughs> we have to put it in work, you know? So that's what I'm trying to say. There are all of these things that we have access to at a moment we choose salvation. But we have to actually go on a journey to discover what those things are. We have to go on a journey to allow those things to be evident in our life. I don't know about y'all, but I didn't pop out of my mom's home, knowing the word. I didn't pop out of my mom's 
So even if you have the best parents in the world, you're still going to be shaped by all the chaos and madness of the people around you. So we got to do work to heal. we got to do work to figure out what does it mean to be a Christ follower? You guys know how long it took me to realize some of the things that I had access to went up into my adult years. It took me until I was on the journey to become a minister to learn certain things. To learn certain things like how to read the Bible, learn certain things like how to pray. A big one for me was grace. I had no idea what grace was. You know, my first year of ministry, a girl comes up to me, she turned parts of my testimony, she says, Mary, I want to talk to you. And so I'm like, wow, I'm so excited. I get to minister to someone. But I'm so judgmental, though, when I meet her, though. And so now every time I see her, okay, you say you're a Christian, but you're doing all these things that are contrary. So, y'all, I was rough around the edges. I was real rough when I first like, decided to live for Jesus. Super rough, super blunt. All I knew was that after fall breakaway and after meeting like a genuine community and getting the courage to break up with that toxic relationship, I didn't want to go back to that anymore. So God put this radical youth, youth hurt in my life where I was doing all of these things before and in this instant, I didn't do it anymore. So I'm thinking everybody else is the same way, right? If you don't want to do it, then why can't you just not do it? It don't work like that. <laughs> it's a journey. Sanctification is until the, until the day that we die. We're going to be growing every single day to try to figure out these things. And so I had no grace. So I'm meeting this girl, but now all of a sudden, when she, she's doing stuff, I'm like, okay, well, why are you doing that? You said you're a Christian. Why are you saying that? You said you're a Christian. And then slowly but surely, she stopped coming around me. And then at the end of the school year, she tells us that this horrendous, horrific thing happened to her. And y'all, I tell you, I broke down. I cried for days after realizing I missed an opportunity to minister to someone. And I'm praying, and I'm asking God, like, what happened? How could I be so blind? How could I miss it? God, I don't love you. I swear to my life to you. I want to be used by you. But I miss the mark so drastically. And God says, you don't know grace. But you don't know grace because no one has ever showed you grace. So growing up in my household, my parents um, had very high standards for us. Which was great because it allowed me and my older brother, allowed me and him to be overachievers, you know. But it was very critical at times, though. If we bring home a beat, then the answer is, why is that not A? Why is that not A? If I bring home a 90, why is it a higher A? And then I grew up playing sports, too. Oh, you score five points playing basketball, you practice more, you score more. Over and over again. And so it felt like nothing we ever did was good enough. All this criticism, all the criticalness. I didn't grow up with grace, so I didn't know how to extend it. And so then praying, I'm asking God, I don't ever want this to happen again, Lord. What do I do? I feel like God leads me to this Bible called The Grace of God by Andy Stanley. And I read that and I cry again because all throughout the pages are examples of individuals who were lavished with grace by God and it pushed them closer to God. Not my judgment, not my condemnation. Grace does. And that's what I realized that grace is when I focus more on why people are doing something than just what they're doing. Everybody has a story. And when we learn it, we'll know more about them. Another thing about me, it took me a long time to realize that I was adopted by God. I grew up with both of my parents in my household, but yeah, I felt like an orphan. My mom suffered with a lot of um, different mental illnesses. My dad went off to war three different times, and by the time 
that was a lot of times. And I ended up becoming bitter and angry as I started to learn about all my peers and how they have all these great mothers and fathers and holidays. Like, you know, you see all the commercials of these great family members. And I'm like, I don't have that. And I'm trying to have adult conversations with my parents and there's no change. And now I'm bitter. Now I'm angry. Why don't they know how to be good parents? Why don't they want to go and church to be good parents? And then going to church, reading my word, being in community. I'm hearing all of these words. I'm hearing all of these Christian phrases like, I'm adopted by God. And then I go on a journey to figure out what that means. And so what am I trying to say? For our lives to be hidden in Christ, we have to do work. It's not enough for us to just say that we're Christians anymore without going on a journey to heal ourselves, without going on a journey to find the fundamentals of faith. We have to do our part too. Because worse, faith without worse is dead. And it doesn't help anyone. So what do people see when they see you? Do they see Jesus? Or do they see your wounds? We must work towards having a transformed life. So the next slide, I'm not going to read all of these passages for the sake of time, but I feel like the rest of chapter 3 tells us, it gives us practical steps. Now that we know what it means for our life, now that we know what it means for us to die to ourselves, for our lives to be hidden in Christ, what are practical steps? What does that practically look like? Well, I think the first section is verses 1 through 2. It suggests that our lives to be hidden in Christ, we set our mind on things above, we set our heart on things above. So again, what do we desire? Do we desire just having a girlfriend or boyfriend? Do we desire having money or fame? Do we desire just graduating from college? Can I tell you guys that none of those things are inherently wrong by themselves, but when we put them before Jesus, that is the problem. The word says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all things will be given to you as well. For us to live a transformed life and for our life to be hidden in Christ, we have got to desire God's will above anything else. And I promise you, every time that you do, everything else will come. The next section, I think, talks about how we can just, um, our lives can be hidden to Christ and put to death our old ways. That's Colossians 3, 5, through 1, but you guys should just go back and read the chapter. It's really good. But we've been talking a lot about dying to ourselves. What are practical ways that we can do that? Well, for one, I think first we have to confess our sins to one to another. That's what James 5 and 16 says. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me tell you, if you confess your sins to someone, two things will be happening. You'll be set free and you'll realize that you're not alone. The enemy wants to keep us with private sins. That's how he torments us with our thoughts, with condemnation, with shame. But the moment we open up our mouth and we say, I'm struggling with this, it breaks all of those chains off. And for the people in this room that know they struggle with something and be set free, can we be more vulnerable about what God is delivering us from? So that people can know, like, oh, I didn't pop, you didn't pop out of your mother's was perfect either. We also gotta, I think one of the ways that we can guide ourselves too is if we grow in our understanding of why that sin is wrong. I don't know about you guys, but for me, there was not a lot of room to ask questions growing up. Whenever I ask my dad, what does this mean? Why does this happen? It's just always fun to hear you Like, okay. <laughs> but can I tell you all the Kayako, we have a really strong discipleship. Doing one-on-one, spending one hour once a week to help you guys in any area of your faith. We want you guys to come with your questions. 
And I feel like that's the difference between blindly following in religion and actually building a relationship with God. It's the same thing when we're trying to um, pursue like relationships with significant others or relationships with friendships or whoever. We foster communication with them and when we don't understand why they're doing something, we ask them. It's the same thing with God. If you don't know, at least for me, I didn't. I knew that I wasn't supposed to have sex before marriage, but I didn't know why. I didn't know why. I didn't know what else I was supposed to do about it. But then when I learned what sex before marriage does, and it creates soul ties, that puts blinders on. That now all of a sudden I'm in this relationship and I can't get out because I'm stuck um, being satisfied by lust instead of realizing there's something greater for me on the other side. And now I'm stuck in this relationship too because I got these blinders on. I'm not seeing that he really ain't that great. <laughs> And so when I realized what all of that did, I didn't desire it anymore. And I kicked that one to the curve so fast. <laughs> the next section talks about going on a journey of our lives and getting Christ by clothing ourselves with new ways. Another way that this can be phrased is just by pursuing the fruits of the Spirit. Pursuing a supernatural ability to have love when we've been offended and hurt so bad. Pursuing a supernatural ability to have joy, even though everything is around us that's like creating chaos and I'm um, trying to steal our joy. Pursuing a supernatural ability to have peace, even though everyone else is running around like a chicken with their head off. Ain't that some of the other ones? Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That is what it looks like for our lives to be hidden in Christ. We pursue these things so that when people see us, they see Jesus. Lastly, it says, um, I think, I believe in verses 16 through 17, I believe the word suggests our lives to be hidden in Christ if we, um, if we teach the gospel and admonish others. So in other words, I feel like if you already know God, if you've already allowed your lives to be um, transformed by the meaning of your mind, is that it? Are we done now as Christians? Now we're supposed to go and help others do the same. The question I get all the time is, what's our purpose in life? You know, we get that from college students, from people in general. What is our purpose in life? I think it's a three-part thing. One, everyone's purpose in life is to know God. Two, is to help other people know God. And then three, we need to use our new passions, our new gifts, and our experiences to do that and just help make the world a better place so that it looks differently than um, that we leave it looking better than how we came in. One of the verses that comes to mind when I think about this is Luke 22, 31. It says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like me. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. And so this is actually alluding to the time that Simon is going to reject Jesus um, three times, like right before he gets crucified. But Jesus doesn't give up on Simon. He just uses his experience. Grow from it. Repent from it. Then once he returns, strengthen your brothers. Do we know that that's all of us too? Jesus knows that we're going to fall, we're going to stumble. Like, that's why God said Jesus in the first place. He said, my people need help. It's like, once we've repented, once we've gotten delivered, once we've figured all that out, can we go back and help our brothers and sisters? How selfish is it of us to know that we have a remedy remedy for all the ailments in the world, that we have hope, that we have light in the midst of darkness, and we don't want to share that? Do you remember how we were before we knew Jesus, and do we know how we are now that we do know Jesus? Matthew 28 and 19 and 20 is known as the Great Commission. It just talks about 
supposed to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. That is a commandment, not just for me, not just for, not just for Matt or for Jack, for everybody. Now, God is going to use you uniquely in a way to do that. It doesn't necessarily have to be up here preaching on the stage. You can fulfill your purpose as a teacher, as a doctor, as a lawyer. But in anything that you do, are we willing to teach? Are we willing to admonish? Are we willing to offer correction and love when we see somebody going astray? So what does that look like? That could look like challenging yourself to know the gospel, challenging yourself to start evangelizing and doing two-by-twos, um, being more familiar with your testimony so that you can share that. Just offering a prayer so when we see them overwhelmed, inviting them to a small group or a kayala. There are tons of student stories where somebody was able to get saved, get baptized, was on the verge of suicide, and all of that changed in a blink of an eye because someone invited them to pizza and theology. They came for the pizza and they got to know God. Or they came for all the fun stuff that fall breakaway and they got to know God. So, in conclusion, if the um, praise and worship team can come back up, I really want to just encourage all of you guys to focus more on Jesus. And not just to focus more on Jesus, but to focus on allowing Jesus' life's works to be evident in your life. When people see you, what do they see? Is your life hidden in Christ? Do you have a transformed life? Or are you just a Christian by name? So I really want to challenge everyone today to just take a step forward and ask yourselves, how could God be challenging me for my life to be hidden more in Christ? Um, there's, I want to put three things on the screen that I think you guys can be praying about. God could either be challenging you to know Him more, to know yourself more, or to know others more. To know Him more looks like just knowing the fundamentals of faith. Y'all, I used to read the Bible, I used to just see little tiny words on the page, didn't know what it said, written on the right when I was in church. But then when I really learned how to read the word, we have this acronym kind called SOAP. S is for scripture, O is for observation questions, A is for application, and P is for prayer. When I began to do that, and really allow the word to transform me, and I'm asking God, well, what did it mean during this time period? Who are they writing to? And then the question, how does this apply to me today? That's when the word became alive. That's when it started to transform me from the inside out. Do we know how to pray? Do we know how to have a persistent Christ? Oh, God, you know how to take our thoughts captive and make them obedient unto Christ? For some of us in here today, working on our thoughts being hidden in God looks like moving God more intimately.